return this morning to Matthew chapter 10. We pick up at verse 32. Interested in the precise statement of the Lord Jesus as recorded in Matthew 10, 32, and 33. Our Lord said, Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But, Whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Heavenly Father, I am quite sure that these words, when heard originally by the disciples listening to our Lord Jesus speak, I'm sure that their reaction in the moment is much like ours. We perceive immediately that these are sobering and definitive words to be honestly and truthfully taken in with thine own spirit's help. And so we pray today that you would help us to hear with the ear and to believe in the heart and to work out in the practical realities of life the profound declaration of the Lord Jesus made on this occasion to those who were already following him in those earthly days long ago. May the words certainly speak to the heart of a sinner unsaved today. May the words certainly speak to the carnal Christian today. But may these words deliberately and directly speak to those who are already following you today. And for that, we will praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Four Bible men come to my mind when reading this profound statement of the Lord Jesus as recorded here about public confession and heavenly denial. The four men are Paul, Peter, Timothy, and Judas. Paul famously said that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul backed up his personal proclamation with his whole life after his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus long ago. Complementing our understanding of Matthew 10, 33 is the similar thing that the Lord Jesus said as reported by both Mark and Luke. 
Jesus said, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words. In this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We identify quickly that pronouncement of the Lord of coming with his holy angels as being clear reference to the second coming. All of Christianity hangs upon the truth that God in Christ came. And he who came has promised to come again. And therefore you understand the song selections of this hour. Because our songs are forward-looking and futuristic. Thinking of a time of being, as it were, with the resurrected Christ in the eternal state. And that is righteous for those that love God and are responding to God with a whole heart as based upon the truth of Scripture. Many things are yet to be fulfilled when he who came comes again. And we would just quickly embrace the prayer of the Apostle John. Even so come Lord Jesus. Paul famously comes to mind when we think about this confession and denial statement of the Lord Jesus. And then I say Timothy, because Paul's spiritual son and protege, Timothy, struggled to maintain his godly posture in unashamed living. Timothy uh, uh, embraced the truth of Christ. He was verbal about it. It was visual in his life, to be sure. Uh, but at times, he, uh, he cowered back. At times, he, he uh, went back on his heels. And uh, Paul, therefore, said to him, Be not, therefore, ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Paul, that we would associate with almost unflinching loyalty to Christ from the day he was saved, on the Damascus Road until the day he died, had a son in the faith, a protege, Timothy, who didn't have such a dynamic course in the days of his earthly life, but rather would take two steps forward and one step back. And as a result of that, Paul admonishes Timothy uh, to get with it and to stay with it. And uh, if he had uh, slipped, well then, uh, by the grace of God, stand back up and get walking again. Uh, Timothy is a good representation of that, of that truth. And then I say Peter, because guilty Peter undoubtedly had the principle of Matthew 10, 32, and 33 in mind uh, as uh, uh, he was being assaulted in his mind uh, by his own neglect and failure to speak up for Christ by the campfire. And with stinging conviction, on the third time, denying the Lord Jesus Christ exactly as Jesus said not to, Peter ran out and wept bitterly after publicly 
denying his Lord on those three occasions, hours before the crucifixion. Thank God we know that Peter was fully restored to a life of good confession in Jesus Christ. And then the confession and the profession of Judas come to mind because as we know, Judas crashed in a heap of human sorrows, yet without repentance. He publicly denied the Lord Jesus and was forever lost as the son of perdition. While the truth of confession and denial, as spoken of here by the Lord Jesus, can be easily applied to the doctrine of exclusivity. The doctrine of exclusivity is the doctrine that says it's Jesus Christ alone. We are of no physical threat to the Buddhists or the Hindus or the Islamics, but we are a spiritual threat because we believe that only Jesus can save the soul. That it's all about Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life unto God the Father. The context here surely affirms the doctrine of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. But much more than that, the context here concerning the truth of confession and denial affirms the sobering truth that is directed on this occasion to those disciples and servants of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus said this to those already following him, already embracing him, at least verbally, and to some degree visually, as they followed physically the Lord in that occasion of time. Many of them were already actively serving him as they were appointed to do. And yet Jesus says to them, whoever confesses me, I will confess before the Father. Whoever denies me, I will deny before the Father. That makes the truth of public confession and denial before the presence of God the Father a serious and sobering matter for every single person that hears these words. If you be yet a sinner, yet under the penalty of your own sins, which is death, these are words for you. If you be a person who says, I'm a Christian, these are words for you. And even if you be a servant of God, these are words of Christ for you. There are three elements of the Lord's statement here in 32, 33 uh, that, uh, uh, that must not be ignored. First of all, 
public confession of Jesus Christ is directly connected to the power and the prerogative of God over every human soul, verse 28. In verse 28, you and I are instructed to fear God, not man. Verse 28, don't be afraid of people who the worst they can do to you is kill you. But rather, exercise yourself, direct your fear towards him who has the ability not only to take physical life, but to dispose or to place the soul in its eternal condition. That one is none other than God. And so from verse 28, we taught you, fear God, not man. But then Jesus, as he established that truth, went on in the verses following to speak of the tremendous value of those that were following him and, as it were, walking along the path unto the Father. In verse 31, Jesus said, Fear ye not, therefore, ye, those that were following him in that moment of time, those that were serving him in that moment of time, ye are of more value than many sparrows. God knows about the sparrows. God takes care of the sparrows. There isn't one sparrow that dies without God's knowledge and, uh, and sovereign will. And yet, the Lord Jesus said that uh, the follower of Christ is of far greater value uh, than that. And so, with the idea of fear God, not man, the next truth is God really values you who love him you who are following him, you who are seeking him, you are, who are seeking to learn uh, concerning him. And that brings us directly to verse 32, and whosoever, therefore, see it? Therefore, what Jesus is going to say, 32, 33, directly connects as a logical, rational conclusion to what has immediately preceded. We call that context. And we pay a lot of attention to that around here. That's element number one. Element number two, public confession of Jesus Christ is the universal invitation of God to man. This is established by the word, whosoever. Jesus didn't say, uh, I'm only talking to the uh, people who are following me. No, Jesus said, whosoever. So this truth about confession and denial is a truth for sinners who have yet to come to saving knowledge of Christ. Uh, this word of, uh, of confession and denial is a word to Christians relative to their sanctification. And this word of, uh, of, of confession and denial is a further word to those that are, are, are following Christ and indeed are the servants of Christ. Now, let me drop you something on you that I, I didn't print in the bulletin, and you might want to write it down. And that is, confession, confession is a facet of salvation. Uh, confession is a facet of sanctification. Confession is a facet of service. One more time. Confession is a facet of salvation. Confession is a facet of sanctification. Confession is a facet of service. I'll come back to that. The third element here is that public confession of Jesus Christ eliminates 
Think of this. Public confession of Jesus Christ eliminates the possibility of secret discipleship. The word deny used of God in the future tense means to disown. God disowns those as his who deny Christ before men. That's strong. That's scary. And humanly speaking, in light of some of my relatives, humanly speaking, in light of some of the people that I've had the opportunity to minister to over the years, I'd kind of like to explain some of that away. But I must not let anything of my words diminish the plainly understood words of Jesus Christ on this occasion. And so the first thing that I do as the preacher here today is submit my soul to God for the truth of Christ in this text. Now the original words translated confession, otherwise in the New Testament called profession, simply mean to say the same, to say the same, or to speak the truth of a matter. Scripture uses the words both negatively and positively negatively regarding sin, you and I are to say the truth, speak the truth about sin, you and I are to say the same as the Bible says about sin, and positively you and I are to say the same or speak the truth concerning the Savior. The two prongs of confession have to do with human sin and God's own salvation. Human sin and the Savior. Confession is always a matter of sin and the Savior. Confession of sin, we might think of Joshua, who required of Old Testament Achan that he come clean concerning the aspect of his sin. Our King David, as he offered confession before God after the admonition of the prophet Nathan, uh, those kinds of confession of sin are easily illustrated by uh, police interrogation and courts of law where people confess to the crimes that they have committed. Confession means to come clean or to tell the truth on a matter and to yield that truth before men. So if you think about sin then the truth of the matter concerning my case, I'll let you speak to your case, but the truth of the matter concerning my case would be, I am a great sinner. Sadly, that's the truth of it. But I not only know that to be true in my heart, I would confess that to be true to you 
and before you, I am a great sinner. Here's something that many, many people on God's earth refuse to say concerning themselves. I am a great sinner. Say it with me. I am a great sinner. Now, if that is all there was to it, then we would simply call this the misery club. We'd ask you out on Sunday morning to get together and bring some Kleenex, and we'd all blow our nose, not because we got a cold or are snotted up with the season, but because we all feel bad, because we're such sinners. But that's not why we've come today. Because confession not only deals with the truth of sin, but confession deals with the truth of salvation and the Savior. Confession of the Savior involves an open acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as to his correct identity. He is not just a great man. He is God become man for the saving of our souls. And confession of the Savior means that we confess uh, the relationship of Christ to the possibility of our salvation. You're not saved because of the church you attend. You're not saved because of the religion you embrace. You're not saved because of the books you read. You're not saved because of the people you know. You're saved by Jesus Christ who died for your sins and rose again the third day. Confession involves sin. Confession involves the Savior. So let me give you something else to say. I can say, I am a great sinner. But I can also say, but Jesus is my great Savior. I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. Say that with me. I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. That's the reason this church exists. That you might know Christ as the Bible portrays him and the reality of who exactly he is. Now concerning the things that uh, are written down by way of our outline this morning, the first one will go quick because we by and large attended to it, but let me just say a little bit more here. Uh, number one, we must face the issue of our confession's content. Sin and Savior, we already talked about that. Let me just specify it a little bit more. The content of our confession must acknowledge the holiness of God. He is holy, he is righteous in all perfection. And all God's people say, amen. The content of our confession must acknowledge the holiness of God. The content of our confession must acknowledge your own personal sinfulness and its resulting penalty in forever death. For the wages of sin are death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin of death. The content of your confession must acknowledge your personal sinfulness 
and the resulting penalty, death. Thirdly, the content of your confession must acknowledge the exclusive sufficiency of Jesus Christ to save you. We do not sing about saviors. The Bible is not a book of heroes. We sing of the Savior. We preach Christ and him crucified for our sins as the basis of our salvation. And that's why Jesus said, and it's very important to note it in this regard, verse 32, whosoever therefore shall confess, what's the next word? Not a single thought of Baptist. Not a single word of Methodist. Not a single word of Presbyterian or Catholic. Jesus said, whosoever shall confess me. This is about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's always been about. And it's sad that in our day, many churches get in the way of that. Don't let anything get in the way of that concerning you. It's common for local churches to express these and other doctrinal matters in a written document called a confession of faith. We have one. It's attached to our Constitution and bylaws. But let me again say to you, your personal confession of faith in Jesus Christ must be the truthful expression of heartfelt relationship with him through faith. In other words, who cares if you're a part of church who believes the right thing if you believe the wrong thing? You need to confess Christ. Him and him alone is the basis of the saving of your soul. Secondly, we must face the issue of confession's conduct. And here's where a lot of Baptist people become unnerved. Every person with heartfelt dependence on the Lord is commanded to identify such in the waters of public baptism. Your obedience and mine in this matter is very important. While baptism does not save, refusal to identify with the Lord publicly is sin and may well indicate the falsity of your verbal confession. It's easy to say things that are not connected to the reality of how you live. And so the idea of confession is surely a verbal thing. I believe this or that. But more than a verbal thing, it is a visual thing. It's something that can be seen and embraced in the life of a person. Beyond the testimony raised in the waters of baptism, God expects a person to behave in a manner that is worthy 
of the gospel of Christ. Listen to what Bible teacher Warren Worsby says about that. To confess Christ means much more than to make a statement with our lips. It also means to back up that statement with our lives. John Calvin said, Though this is regarded by the greater part of men as a trifling matter, visual confession is herein represented to be a main part of one's divine worship and a distinguishing exercise in godliness. There is no believer whom the God whom God the Son does not require to be his faithful witness before men. Here's another John, MacArthur. This warning applies to a person who makes an outward profession of Christianity, but turns away when tempted and hard testing comes. What are we saying? We're saying that biblical confession encompasses the core of your belief and it encompasses the core of your behaviors that can confess, as Christ talked about confession, is a verbal thing. And indeed, it is a visual thing. It can be seen. And then thirdly, we must face the issue of confession's continuation. Hebrews says plainly, let us hold fast the profession, same word, confession, of our faith without wavering. Enduring faith was the emphasis of the book of Hebrews recently covered. Enduring faith is the focus of the book of James, which is our study in the second hour on Sunday morning. In other words, to confess means that you speak that which is a settled truth in your heart, you order your life accordingly and continue to do so until death or rapture. You understand that confession is a verbal thing, that confession is a visual thing, but above all you recognize that confession is a vital thing. Verbal, vision, vital. It is a verbal thing. It is about what you say as to what you believe. It is a visual thing as to how you live. And it is a vital thing, meaning it is actually the truth of your guts, of the inner you, of the real man. The part that as I sat here looking at you, you don't see, and the part that you looking at me don't see. The inner man. The inner man. Verbal, visual, vital. Now, there is a grammatical insight here and uh, don't leave me, because I don't want to lose you, but I confess it's a little technical. And uh, so prep your mind to just, you know, hang in there with me. But there is a grammatical insight here that allows us to see the difference between, ready, the denial of confessing Peter that ended well, and the denial of confessing Judas that did not. Both the words confess in verse 32. Jesus said, If you confess me before men, whosoever therefore shall, future tense, confess me before men, him will, future, I confess also 
before my father. Both the words confess in verse 32 are future, active, indicative verbs. You say, oh, preacher. <laughs> is this what you chase during the week? Yeah. <laughs> this is what I chase during the week. Uh, uh, both of those words are future, active, indicative verbs. The Lord is simply promising to represent every true earthly confessor of him before God the Father in real time now and in the future. In verse 33, we find the word deny twice, and only one is a future indicative verb, and that would be the second one. The first time you see the word deny in verse 33, it is an eris subjunctive, which speaks of an undefined action that is not repeated or continuous. And in that grammatical fussiness, there is the opening of a window to our understanding that there may well be incidents of denial that are followed by repentance, a.k.a. Peter, or a denial that is not followed by repentance, a.k.a. Judas. When a believer like Peter denies the Lord, there is guilt and godly sorrow that leads to repentance. When an unbeliever denies the Lord, there is often also great guilt and godly or ungodly sorrow, but no repentance. When a believer today fails to live out his confession of Christ, the ascended Lord denies him in real time some of the benefits of his heavenly ministry as high priest and advocate. What did I just say? I said a lot of Christians have a good reason to be grumpy. A lot of Christians have a good reason to be down in the mouth because they are not living out their faith. And as a result of that, heaven is not dealing with them in such a way that brings to them fluidity and grace. And believe me, in these days, you need the grace of God for living. And to try to live without the grace of God is downright miserable. And so, mo so many people that are Christians are just a bunch of grumps because they haven't been living out their salvation as God indeed has saved them. And as a result of that, what they're experiencing is not the blessing of the intercession of their great high priest and savior, Jesus Christ, on the right hand of God in heaven, but rather they are experiencing the disciplinary hand of the Almighty. I don't know about you, but discipline never felt good to me. 
However, if that believer confesses his sin, according to 1 John 9, he is forgiven and cleansed by the advocacy of the Lord Jesus at the Father's right hand. If an unbeliever does not confess Christ, he or she remains under the condemnation of God. Now earlier, I, uh, I told you that confession is a facet of, uh, of salvation, and confession is a facet of sanctification, and confession is a, is a facet of service, and those words mean something to some of you, but not all of you. And so I wrote a little thing just to kind of work it all out. And uh, by and large, I want to read this. Here we go. Confession is a New Testament word of personal importance regarding salvation, sanctification, and service. The Bible word confess means to say the same as does the Bible say. Those that say the same about themselves as sinners as the Bible says and say the same about the person and work of Christ as the Bible says are saved from the penalty of their own sin, which is death, and given eternal life as the Bible says. Paul wrote, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10.10. And then Paul said at verse 13 of Romans 10, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Confession concerning sin and the Savior is an important facet of eternal salvation. Confession of sins, the S on the end, is made in the scripture to be a part of sanctification for believers. Since all saved people sin while on earth, still. I don't weigh awake at night wondering if you're still sinning. As a matter of fact, I know you are. I would not encourage you to weigh awake at night wondering if I'm still sinning, because you should know I still am. Sin in the life of a believer is quite a common thing. Don't say amen, just say right. Right? The Apostle John tells us that if we as believers confess our sins, that God is faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9, confession of sins is an important facet of daily sanctification. And then thirdly, as we have it here in Matthew 10.32 and 33, confession is an important facet of godly service. Public confession of relationship with Jesus Christ before the world is an important facet of personal discipleship and service. Confession of relationship with the Lord Jesus, first in the waters of baptism and then in the days of earthly life, is made essential in a practical sense for each and every one of us. During the eight years that I traveled this country as a Bible teacher, 
while representing two Christian institutions of education. Quite often, after pouring out my soul in a congregation over the course of a weekend, on a Sunday night, I'd be boarding a plane. And sometimes, after the process of getting on that plane, I would be so weary, so tired of just laying it out there and being with people all week long in interaction, there were times that I, I uh, wanted to say to the Lord, and there were times that I did say to the Lord, Oh, Lord, please let me sit, number one, next to nobody. Number two, if I sit next to somebody, let them go to sleep quick. And number three, uh, uh, help me uh, as, I, as I lean back in my chair, uh, just to be able to let my mind go free and think about Sherry and the boys and getting home and eating a burger and, uh, and not about the aspect of heaven or hell and uh, all the desperate things that happen in regards to people. And I can tell you that God always, always, always answered that prayer for me and never in the way that I asked. Inevitably, I'd get on the plane, and the person would sit down next to me, and I'd look at me, and I'd greet him. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? And as soon as they sit down, they say, well, you look like a preacher. <laughs> Is that tattooed on my head or something, or what? And the next thing you know, we're off and talking about the things, some of the best conversations I ever had with people it was on an airplane during those days traveling. Listen, if you will not own Christ on a plane, if you will not own Christ at the barbershop, if you will not own Christ in the neighborhood, if you will not own God's people in the times they regularly meet, Sunday, Wednesday, if you will not own the reality of identification clearly with Jesus Christ in your life, then you have a problem with what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Many of God's followers and servants in this hour are nonetheless denying him. Is there something they can do about it? Yep. At least unless they have a heart attack right now. Your confession of Christ, according to this text, is to be verbal. It's to be visual. It's to be a vital reality. You are to speak the truth of Christ. You are to manifest visibly your commitment to Christ as a fan does that dresses in their team colors. I'll be in the educational hour tonight. I would not miss the educational hour tonight, but I will, will, will be wearing a pullover uh, uh, smock that is Honolulu blue because the Lions are playing this afternoon. And I have all my adult life, whether living in Michigan, Iowa, Florida, Ohio, or Michigan, have rooted for uh, the University of Michigan and the Lions. And so I'll be wearing my Honolulu blue smock tonight as I teach and missing the second half and trusting the Lord for that. But nonetheless, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, there is to be a visuality about my faith. I've talked to this church a lot about that in the terms of demonstrated faithfulness. And if you're not willing to demonstrate your faithfulness and you got a problem with Christ, your problem's not with me. I'm just the goon that's been telling you that thing. 
Your problem's with Christ. He's the one that said, if you confess me, I'll confess you. If you don't confess me, I won't confess you. And there are both real, real and current ramifications of that and long-term realities, eternal realities concerning that. I know that in our day there is a thing called a confessional church, and I don't care. Because the Bible doesn't talk about a confessional church, it talks about a confessional person. And you need to confess the Lord Jesus Christ personally as your own Lord. Father, help us then to be responsive according to your word. To trust the Bible as our only sure and reliable God, guide for all matters of life and ministry. And may the declaration of our lips be the reality of our hearts. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.